I am here with Jimmy Chang, who's co-founder of Catalyst, also a good friend. Jimmy, I feel like it's been a long time coming. I'm very excited to have you on the pod. Yeah, definitely. Um, I remember you released your first episode, like, what is it, like two years ago or something? Um, Which is insane. Yeah, and I was listening to it. I listened to a bunch of them for a while and then uh, I'm happy to finally be here and, and chatting with you uh, formally. You know, we chat informally all the time, but uh, yeah. Super, super excited to be here. You're an early supporter always, which I so appreciate of the pod and just in general, a wonderful human. Um, I can't wait to dive into multi-chain worlds, liquidity, all of the things. But before we do that, maybe you can give a little bit of background on you and how you found yourself in this weird crypto sphere. Sure. Yeah. Um, I have been in crypto for a few years now. Um, and it's been kind of like a winding journey, so to speak, like definitely one that I didn't anticipate going down. Um, but yeah, so like the, the story is, uh, you know, I, I, I want to tell you a, an answer that's more fun than my typical answer. Um, Love. if you'll, uh, you know, allow that, um, I'll but, encourage uh, it. Thank you. Um, you know, effectively, like, uh, I was out of, you know, out of, uh, out of school and, uh, in undergrad, this is in, in 2017. Um, so I'm dating myself a little bit. Um, but, uh, I didn't really know what I, what I wanted to do. Obviously I, I knew about, um, knew about crypto, um, more just like casually. Um, and so I did something that most people, um, kind of do when they're out of grad undergrad or, and they don't really know what they want to do. And, and that's going to management consulting. Um, so I did that and funny enough, like, uh, I joined, I was out in San Francisco and like the first thing that I did was like basically like a crypto thing where it was like, uh, I was like working at a bank and I worked at a bank because I studied math and you know, the, the, the staffer, uh, at, at my, uh, my, my company, um, was like, oh, you're a math guy. Like you probably want to work with banks. And I'm like, no, like I'd actually prefer to work in like consumer, right. Like, uh, like DTC brands and like, uh, you know, like Warby Parker and Wayfair and all that, that cool stuff back then. She was like, no, nah, you're, you're going to work at a bank. And I'm like, mm, okay, well, <laughs> I'm only going to do that once. And then I want to go to consumer. Uh, but I joined that. And then literally like the first few weeks I had a client be like, hey, like you're young. And I was like, okay, <laughs> a good way to start the convo. <laughs> um, like, do you know about this like blockchain stuff? And I was like, I probably know more than you. Uh, and so we kind of like foster a relationship where I did a lot of like research for them and ultimately started shaping up their their blockchain strategy. And then I became like the blockchain person uh, at, at, at the firm. And that was like not a really high bar, <laughs> so to speak. Uh, so... Uh, did that uh, for a few years and then um, kind of like loved it, loved the people I was working with, loved the problem. And so I ended up joining Ripple uh, a few years after that, um, was there for two years as a product manager and then made my way to Ethereum and smart contract land. I worked on Unstoppable Domains uh, as a product manager uh, and then I worked at Aave as a product manager, uh, kind of doing different things, but a bit more wacky things like experiments and stuff. Um, and uh, now I'm at now I'm at Catalyst. Yeah, I've been working on Catalyst uh, for a little bit over six months now, which is crazy to think about. You know, it's just an idea once upon a time, and 
now it's still an idea, but there's like a white paper and stuff and, and, and there's like <laughs> venture funding. So it, it feels more real. Yes. I'm very excited to dive into um, the vision behind Catalyst, not even just as like a specific solution, but more so like why you think it's important and interesting, which I think is maybe a good place to start actually. So, you know, you've been in the space for a while. You're kind of like a gigabrain in, in a lot of different areas of the space. I'm curious why Catalyst and this idea of like cross-chain liquidity felt important. And also I recognize that like cross-chain liquidity is kind of a mouthful. So maybe worth diving into just briefly how you got there and what the fuck cross-chain liquidity actually means. Sure. Yeah. Cross-chain, ZK, interoperability, light client. Uh, yeah. Just fucking throw all the words out there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so I got into interoperability, which is like a fancy word that we like to say for like doing cross-chain stuff or like doing bridging stuff. Um, I would say like end of 2021. So like, you know, a little bit into my tenure at Aave. Um, for kind of like two reasons. I would say the biggest reason was we were about to launch Aave V3. And we had this thing called um, Portals with V3, which is basically like a framework in which you can start doing cross-chain lending. It wasn't cross-chain lending, excuse me, um, like off out the gate, but it was kind of like a, a placeholder, so to speak. And so I spent a lot of time looking into portals. That was kind of like my thing when I was like leading experiments there, was looking into that and a couple other features that touched, you know, Aave protocol and then eventually what became Lens protocol, et cetera. Um, so that was kind of like my first foray. And then the second piece uh, was we're also thinking about like scaling. And so less around like interop in the sense of like cross-chain like activities and use cases, but more just around like what does the future of scaling look like in terms of like, is it L2s? Is it going to something like Solana? Um, and how do we actually uh, like, you know, pick the right platform for us for the future, right? For like one year, two year, five years down the line. And so I was speaking to a lot of companies and I realized, oh, like these are kind of like the same problems, like doing things cross-chain, like cross-chain lending or cross-chain yield aggregation or what have you is like basically the same thing as like saying, oh, I want to scale because even when you go to like somebody like an L2, you still have a bridging problem where like you either want to connect to the liquidity of like your original place or, um, you know, just the nature of rollups like kind of begets the the problem of like bridging, which I don't know if you've been following crypto Twitter lately, but there's been a lot of conversations on of if rollups or bridges uh, kind of in the infraspace, which has been fascinating. Um <clears throat> All that to be said, like, I just found it like super fascinating. And then Vitalik had this like, you know, Reddit post that, that went pretty viral. That was like, the future is not, the future is cross-chain, but not multi-chain. And he was saying like, you know, basically like it, it doesn't make sense to have uh, different blockchains uh, or rather it's very insecure and very scary to have different blockchains. It's just better if it was all one blockchain. Uh, and that kind of like pissed me off. <laughs> Honestly, I was like, no, like there's no way like, like this has to happen. Right. And so I, I felt very kind of motivated to the problem. Um, so that's kind of like the story. And then what cross-chain liquidity is, is, I mean, said differently, like it's basically just like, how do we like have um, 
like it's kind of you know lame and, and kitschy to say, but like how do we have like borderless blockchain, right? In the sense of like you know it's not like money on Ethereum or not even money, but like anything, right? Data on Ethereum, assets on Ethereum versus assets on Cosmos. Like how do we like dissolve those borders? Like said differently, it's like you know this doesn't even happen in the real world, but it's like why do I have USD on you know in a US bank account and I have you know, some variant of a USD, you know, or like Euro or like gold on like a bank account in, you know, Germany where, where I am right now, um, like moving between them is like very difficult. Right. And so it's like, how do you dissolve those borders and help kind of the free flow of, of value and, and information uh, in kind of this end state. And I think that's like very aligned towards the ethos of web three. Yeah, totally. So I think like really in a, in a very grounding sense, it's this question of like, we'll get into why it might make sense to have many different chains in a minute. And I want to know, I want to dive into Vitalik's post pissing you off. But at the foundational level, the assumption here is like there will be lots of chains. And if you hold that to be true, it makes no sense for those things to be totally siloed. Like you need a way for those things to, we'll say, talk to each other, but what that really means is things like liquidity and all of that stuff. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's the right way to, to put it succinctly. Um, okay, so I want to dive into this. I guess it's not a multi-chain future. Maybe it is a multi-chain future, all of that stuff. Um, I also think, you know, their Dana Litzer from Nascent published this piece on Unichain and this idea that, like, Uniswap and other um, really like popular applications will have their own blockchains. And I think that brought up, I'm not super like involved in this discussion on like rollups and multiple ones, multiple twos. Like I'm not super well acquainted with this world. So at like a broad level, I'm curious how you would sort of um, synthesize the conversation that's happened thus far on like a multi-chain future and what that really like means in practice. Yeah. I, I will certainly try my best um, to, to synthesize it. I will say, like, it, it's an interesting space because a lot of it is very, like, hypothetical. And, uh, you know, like, there's so many, like, interesting, um, like, through lines that you can, like, really pull uh, from this, like, um, you know, what does... Uh, like, what are the game theory implications of like having L2s and the censorship resistance piece of it, right? And like, what is kind of like the economic value of like an application being its own roll up, right? It, it <clears throat> I think the best analogy for it is just like around the conversations around like, um, like governments and like nation states where it's like, oh, like should California be its own state, right? Like it generates so much economic value. Can it do it? Right. And like, what's the trade between that look like? Um, and, and it, it's a pretty fascinating, um, conversation. Um, <clears throat> I'd say in terms of like synthesizing all of the conversation, um, I think it really starts around like, um, like Ethereum, honestly. Mm, yeah. Like, like, I think we could start there where, you know, I think the original kind of roadmap was that, you know, Ethereum is this world computer. It's this kind of single, um, you know, like state machine in which everything kind of operate. And obviously that very quickly, like, 
saw the edges of it as far as back as like CryptoKitties in 2017, right? And so like the, the conversation of scaling is actually as old as, as Ethereum itself, right? If you were to look back um, and see like the original posts of, of scaling and, and of Plasma uh, was posted in like 2015. So like basically um, around the time of Ethereum launch, they're already thinking about scaling. And like the conversation is, is, is kind of around like, okay, like eventually we're going to have like so much demand, like we need to put that somewhere, right? And so people kind of like go about it in different ways, but, you know, one way is that you can have, um, you know, rollups um, that are kind of like sitting on top of Ethereum. And so effectively, like they're like different chains, but they, you know, they retain the security properties of Ethereum if they, you know, like did certain things, right? I'm oversimplifying kind of the shit out of this. Um, and then another piece is like, no, like that's like super complicated, which is true. It's true. And I kind of convoluted. And so let's just build a better blockchain, right? And so that's where like monolithic chains, sorry to throw more buzzwords, but like that's where like, you know, like single machine chains are like, oh, like we'll just, we'll just, you know, change, you know, different pieces of it. Like Solana now, like Aptos and, and Sui are kind of the successors of that kind of philosophy. Um but all that to be said, like, uh, you know, people are trying different things all the time, whether it be rollups or even now like L3. So it's like rollups on top of a rollup on top of Ethereum. There's like app chains on Cosmos, there's rollups on Cosmos. And then you have things again, like Solana uh, and Aptos and Sui. And so my kind of thing is like, um, you know, I think the world is just going to have lots of chains. I think the economics and the incentives play out where it's just going to be the case, right? Like there was that famous kind of like comic strip joke where it was like, why are there so many standards? We need a standard that like takes in all the standards. And now it's like, oh, well, now there's instead of 16 standards, now there's 17 standards, right? So it's like everyone's trying to uh, try and find this over encompassing thing. And I, I just find like that it's impossible. So you might as well just like capitulate and like try to aggregate all of them. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think like, I like this, this sort of grounding and like, okay, why are there so many different chains? Well, fundamentally, most of them, at least at the core or in the beginning, we're trying to solve for scaling. Like there's only so much um, block space and throughput that you can actually put on the Ethereum blockchain. It's already expensive as hell. You need other types of solutions. Um, I like this idea that like this is probably going to manifest in a bunch of different ways. And it's actually pretty hard to tell what way is going to like actually win out. And maybe it will just all be true. Like maybe we'll have L5s at some point in time and that will just kind of be the vibe. And I have no idea what that would look like. I'm just making shit up. But like maybe it actually Everyone doesn't has even matter. Blockchain. Yeah, yeah, literally, just you just have a computer, and it's just your single local to give yeah. you to your own little local blockchain. Um, but I'm curious, like, so when you think about that that landscape, and you kind of mentioned like the economic incentives here, something that comes to mind for me that feels like it keeps happening in the space is just that like you will always have an incentive as an application, whether you're a consumer application or something else, to like go down to the blockchain level. Like we saw this with like the creator of CryptoKitties creating Flow. We saw this with like DYDX um, doing their own chain. And if you don't know any of these examples, basically it's just that like applications that win tend to go 
oh, we could make it cheaper and easier for our users if we just went on our own chain. And also, we can return investors 100x because we can create our own native token if we want or our own native system. Um, and so I'm curious, like, how much of this do you think is like a scaling? You know, we're actually dealing with like real problems here versus like a weird economic incentive to always go a layer deeper and then encourage other people to build applications on top of your chain. Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. I mean, like, I think I think like economics is just such a powerful driver of like decision making. So that it's like really hard to kind of decouple, um, you know, the economics of it with like the technical advantages of it. Um, uh, but, but I mean, like said differently, like uh, this is me, like, you know, having too many years of product management under my belt. Like it's always like a business versus technical lift trade-off, right? It's like, there's a certain point where like the value you're getting from a business perspective, like outweighs just like how much of a pain in the ass it's going to be or of a technical investment, either through time or money, it's going to be in order to do something. Right. <clears throat> and so I think like they're really coupled together. And so um, the, the two, two things, two things are, are, are really true. Um, I think in this kind of decision to, to be made. So the first piece is that um, like when you're an app and you are generating all this value, um, you, you realize that like you're also disproportionately paying a lot of tax into the blockchain you kind of operate into, right? And so the great, the great examples are like Uniswap and OpenSea, of course, right? It's like they could arguably get so much more volume and, you know, therefore revenue into their protocols uh, if they either had no gas fee, right? They're on a different blockchain with no gas fee or even better if they were to charge their own gas, their own gas fee, right? And so the economics makes sense where it's like, oh, well, like, then you can just do that in your own chain, right? And like, hopefully people, people will move with you. I think that's the bet that DUIDX is making. Um, <clears throat> the second piece is that there's, there's actually a lot of technical benefits to it too, right? Um, and that's around like, okay, like, let's say, you know, like with Ethereum, like there's certain rules that, that need to happen, right? Um, and if you're on your own blockchain, you can kind of alter those rules, right? It's like when you play like monopoly with your family, right? And you're like, oh, like, I don't really like that rule. Like, we'll just change it, right? Because it's more fun. It's more fun. But like, if you're playing with like, you know, the national monopoly championship, you can't do that, right? And you're like, oh, that's a bummer. But that's okay, because I get to play with more people than my family. Um, and so but but there's a benefit to that to the customization, right? And so there, there's a benefit. And so when you go back to like that product decision of like, okay, like what's the economics and how does that weigh with the technical feasibility? I think historically it's been a really hard thing to do um, to stand up your own blockchain, right? There's so much to do, so much. Um, I don't even, you know, belabor the point of, of, of what needs to kind of uh, get, get into it. Um, but now it gets way lower, right? Especially with like rollups and modular chains. Like before it used to be like, call it like a multi-year endeavor, right? Like setting up your own validators and changing consensus and, and bootstrapping the, the security for it. And now it's like, oh, like, 
it's just a computer that I have to spin up, like a virtual computer. And sometimes it's easy as clicking a button. You're like, click, like blockchain, thank you, blockchain is now created. And so now it's like, oh, like if I could customize all these things and get all the benefits of it, and now it's not that hard to do, like I might as well do it, right? And so that's kind of like the thought process of, of like a roll-up builder essentially. Totally. Yeah. I mean, going back to like your nation state analogy, like it's just easier to be California and go, fuck it. Why would we be part of the U.S.? Let's just let's independently become our own you know, nation and we can create our own rules and we don't have to deal with all this other bullshit. Um, and the easier that becomes, it feels like, of course, the more you're going to start to see that happen. Um, so I like this idea that like they're also very tightly coupled, like the economics and the technical side of things, you know, they're they're, they're both providing a ton of benefit. It does feel like when you think about the downsides of some of this stuff, and I think this is where we get into like this idea of liquidity is like, okay, so everybody's spinning up their own blockchain. None of these really have like a good system for talking to each other. We're doing this like weird, really brittle bridge thing. Like it feels like in a lot of cases, um, there are a ton of downsides to actually spinning up um, new blockchains. And, and particularly when it comes to like, the ability for these things to actually communicate with each other, um, which is a problem space that I think you've thought a lot about. So I'm curious when you think about, you know, where we are today and then hopefully like where we'll actually be eventually, um, what's the delta between those two things? Um, that is a really good question. Um, sorry, I feel like I'm, I've been saying that a lot. It's basically like my go-to filler phrase. Uh, I, <laughs> I love that. Answer. That's a great filler. <laughs> it is, yeah. Compliment it's like while you think about an answer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah totally. Um, and then this is an additional filler. Uh, I've actually said this a couple of love. times too. Love. <laughs> so the analogy I like to make is like, let's say like building systems that other people adopt is like really hard. Right. Uh, I, I think that goes without saying uh, the analogy I like to make is like, let's say you live in a street um, and there's a sidewalk and there's like a ton of snow. Right. Um, and like if, if you like and basically like every house along this sidewalk is like a, a blockchain and then the sidewalk is like interoperability. Right. Sure. We'll run with it. Um, and shove like everyone needs to shovel the snow so that they can like go to each other's buildings right and so i think the approach of that's what's happening right now is basically like laissez-faire right it's like oh like you should shovel this snow and connect <laughs> these houses right and so a lot of people are like okay well i don't need to i don't need to connect to every house i'm just gonna connect to this house right and so they like shovel it but like maybe they'll shovel it like the way they want to shovel it, right? So some people are like, oh, like I need to get out like my snow like machine thing and like get it really nice. And some people are like, no, like I'll just kind of like wing it and like there'll be some patches and it'll be icy in a few days, but like whatever. And some people are just like, you know what? Like I'm just gonna like walk through the snow. It's like not that big of a deal, <laughs> right? Uh, and so you end up having this like huge like patchwork of like, okay, like. Not everyone wants like trudge through snow. Not everyone needs, you know, uh, like the really clean path, especially if it's dudes like, oh, like let's all raise money to buy a machine to do this, right? And, and I think a lot of people are coming from the perspective of like, 
oh, like that's obviously not good. But some people are coming from the solution of like, oh, we need a mandate that everyone does this, right? Like everyone like mm. should get like a really nice, like everyone should clean it really well and like everything is super connected and everything like that. And everyone's like, uh, like that doesn't really fit my needs. And like, that's a lot of work, right? I think my perspective is like, um, and other people's perspective are like, oh, like I'll just do, like I'll just shovel it for everyone, right? And then I think my perspective is like, no, like I'm actually going to build like a really cheap shovel slash machine and just give it every house, right? Mm. And then you can make your own paths. But like, at least now it's like really easy and everyone agrees that like, this is how like the paths should be made, right? Uh, and and I, I'm happy to like add actual like companies into that analogy, which I totally just made up by the way. Um, <laughs> but that's like basically how I see it, right? And so it, it, it ultimately, like, to answer your question without a colorful analogy, like, some people are mandating, they're like, we all need the same standard. Some people are saying, no, like, this laissez-faire is, like, fine, I suppose. And I'm saying, well, how do we enable these chains with, like, the right tools so that they can start speaking to each other in a very kind of robust way, right? Mm. Um, and, and, I, and I think that's, like, a better solution. And I think... I think other people in the space might push back on that, but uh, you know, I I I think that's a philosophy worth uh, worth testing uh, in the market. Mm. I have a follow up question on this, and I want to get more specific, but also just like something that's coming to mind is in this analogy, a lot of these chains have an incentive to get people into their house, but they actually like really shouldn't want people leaving their house. So like. There's, there's also a really interesting thing here in my mind, which, again, which goes back to like how do the economics shape the type of infrastructure that we have right now, which is just that like as a blockchain, you want, definitely want people bridging, whether you're, you know, I don't know, I'm calling everything a blockchain. Like I'm saying, you know, L1s like Ethereum are blockchains. I'm saying, you know, rollups and, and all these other things. So forgive me if that's technically not the right terminology, but like you technically don't actually want people to leave. You just want to make it really easy to go in. And I'm curious if that is a dynamic that impacts any of this stuff or if it's just like, you know, bridging or shoveling the sidewalk is is sort of like a two-way road. And no matter what kind of highway you build, like it's just going to be as easy to get in as it is to get out. That's also a good question. <laughs> um <laughs> Jimmy, you're making me feel so, like I'm the best question asker on, well, to be on fair, Earth right you, now. You, you probably are. Um, <laughs> so funny enough, so two points. Funny enough, like I spent a lot of time talking to chain teams and roll-up teams, and that's definitely a sentiment that I've heard, right? They're like, oh, like we like what we have right now because, uh, you know, we want, ultimately people want net inflow, right? Um. And funny enough, like this, this nation state analogy is so good. It's like immigration, right? Uh, effectively. Um, mm -hmm. But so that, that, that's one point. Like I will acknowledge that that is something that people, people have flagged. Um, the second point is it's slightly more philosophical. Like I think it's like, uh, at least overtly, it's not a good thing to say, hey, you can bridge in, but you can't bridge out, <laughs> right? Or it's like, you can bridge in easily, but you can't bridge out easily. Right. Then people are like, uh, like, why do I want to go there, right? Um, and I have a nation say analogy that 
we're probably gonna be canceled. So I'm probably not gonna say it. Um, <laughs> but um, like, like that—that's kind of like you know you're, you're playing with fire when, when you kind of articulate like that. I can see like how tacitly you might make it much harder to leave, right? Like staking with good APYs and and stuff like that that kind of like locks your 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 liquidity or, or keeps you on the chain. Um, Again, like I think the argument there is like, oh well, there's value. Like people are coming for for a reason, right? Uh, there's like a user demand. That's why they're staying. But in, you know, I think the reality of it is like, okay, you're like kind of keeping them there. Um, but uh, I think overtly, no one would ever use a chain that you know makes it very difficult to, to makes it very difficult to leave after you enter. Mm. I mean, this. So what this starts to remind me of that that I think becomes a really interesting dynamic is like. Today, I think no one would overtly make a chain that makes it hard to exit in a way that's like super morally wrong and no one would use that chain. When I picture what it looks like for 12-year-olds to be on chain, I think we're looking at a totally different dynamic where like I could completely imagine, you know, um, getting people to get on a certain chain that then is actually really, really hard to get off of. And so it starts to make me wonder, like, to your point about cheap shovels, it's almost like vital that we build the sort of like ubiquitous infrastructure for bridging between chains to avoid that type of like weird arbitrage where you basically take users who <clears throat> don't have enough education to realize that it's going to be a pain in the ass to, you know, get their assets or data or whatever off a chain um, and so there's kind of like an interesting, it's not really a game theory mechanic here, but almost like a race to make sure that this type of interoperability between chains exists before you start to see people take advantage of it um, with like end consumers, which maybe it's just me being yeah. like a doomsday prepper type energy. I don't know. But there definitely is a dynamic there that's kind of fascinating that I haven't really ever considered. Yeah, I mean, funny enough, like what you just raised is like precisely the like one of a few major design problems that rollups think about. And so one of the really important properties of rollups that's different from like a sovereign, you know, chain uh, is that um, I'm, I'm also not I'm also simplifying the nouns that I'm using, but um but the benefit of rollups is essentially uh, what we call um, forced inclusion, and so mm. it, it's basically where, like, you know, you're on a rollup, you're trying to do something, uh, and the sequencer of the rollup, right, the, like the the central kind of um, block building uh, entity, says like, nope, like, nope, I don't want your transaction, right? Mm. Uh, and then you go, okay, well, I'm just going to, you know, force inclusion into L1, right? And you can like, I like, you know, in theory, like self do everything. You could like do the force inclusion. You can self relay the packet. You, you have to pay the gas for, for Ethereum versus the sequencer. But uh, you can always guarantee what they call like, you know, like, um, like attacks or censorship resistance. Right. Mm. Um, and so, uh, I mean, but that, that's kind of like a theoretical thing. But in reality, it's like, how does a, you know, somewhat, um, uninformed user actually do that? Like, how do they actually have force and inclusion? Uh, how do they self-relay their own transaction? Right, like that stuff that uh, realistically no one, no one, you know, no layperson will do. Um, and so, kind of the 
education and the abstraction, building tooling that kind of abstracts those or exposes those methods uh, to, to an underinformed user would be would be helpful. Mm. Yeah, it kind of makes it's funny because it makes me wonder, like, um, you know, often when I think about what it means to be on chain and like the tool set today, the way that I interact with the Ethereum blockchain, for example, is like through my wallet. And then I, you know, specifically know that I'm connecting to a certain network, which is Ethereum or Optimism or whatever it might be. But it kind of makes me wonder, like, in the future, in this like totally multi-chain world where, you know, Uniswap has their own chain and, you know, this random consumer app has its own chain. And like, it's not even just like TikTok has its own chain, but maybe it's like a certain creator on TikTok, you know, like we're getting really, really specific and niche. Um, In that world, it kind of makes me wonder if, you know, as consumers in the same way that I don't give a fuck what database TikTok is using, you know, what is going to be like that that layer that we actually do interact with and and have a level of comfort level with, basically. And it sounds like it might be the applications that are built on top, but it might also, maybe this is like a weird take, but like be some of that infrastructure, like Catalyst as this like uh, cross-chain liquidity provider. It makes me wonder if that's going to be uh, like a type of interface that we're well acquainted with, which is definitely different. Like when I'm sending money from one bank to another bank that I use. I'm using the front ends of those banks. Um, but I'm curious if if we're actually going to be more acquainted with like the infrastructure itself. Um, I don't know if that question makes sense because it's, it's kind of like going around, beating around a certain bush. But um, yeah, I'm curious how well acquainted you think end users will end up being with this type of infrastructure if we're living in like a super, super populated and abundant world of many chains? Yeah. Again, good question. Um, but now I'm kind of saying it as a, as a joke. Um, <laughs> but um, it's hard to say what are new behaviors that people just need to know, right? To like, quote, get with times. And, and what's just like too complicated to to really fathom and, and needs to get abstracted, right? And I think that just happens through, you know, just like the open market and like evolution, so to speak. Uh, you know, the the invisible hand of of capitalism. Um, because like it, it's kind of funny when you look at like the internet, um, like what things we do interact with and what things we don't interact with. Like we don't interact with what you just said, like databases, right? Like we actually don't know like what servers are being pinged and what information is being retrieved and where it is. And, you know, the the common example is like, why does my ad always load on YouTube? But like the YouTube video doesn't. If you were like, oh, they're like prioritizing ads. It's like, well, no, that's not true. Your, Your ads are like, you know, stored way closer to you and you're trying to retrieve content from like, you know, like Alaska or something like that. Um, but that's a digression. So like another thing is like uh, one thing that like people don't do interact with is like Wi-Fi. It's like, okay, like I'm constantly like looking, I'm like, oh, like Linksys 5.2 gigahertz. <laughs> Let me talk to this IP address. You're like, what? Like, I, I don't understand. Like, so like, it's just funny where like user behaviors go, right? So it's like, it's really mm-hmm. hard for me to say. Um, but I always go back to like, um, like, I think there's things that just need to be seen for people to like understand. 
right? Like a lot of people like dunk on signing transactions. Like I think signing transactions is like, don't get me wrong, broken, right? Like I don't want to sign like zero X, like ABDF three, four. Like <laughs> I don't know what that means, but like contextualizing it is really helpful. Right. Uh, and, and that feels very empowering. So I'm like, okay, like I actually know what I'm interacting with. Um, but, uh, but there's some things that, that people, you know, just, just don't want to interact with. Uh, and I, I think it comes down to just like the ethos of, of, of Web3, like um, where, like, how can you do things that you know, bring user or not, not even user, I hate that word, like an individual empowerment. Mm. Um, but like, or, or and, but how do you abstract away things that can be abstracted that doesn't lead to abuse, right? Mm. Like, Things like, oh, like you, you use the website, but uh, it was like not the right website and it looked the exact same. And because you didn't see the URL and then you got like your wallet drained. Right. Or like, oh, like, you know, there was a man to mill attack and, you know, this node got compromised and you're actually, you know, you're, you're signing something wrong. And your wallet got drained. Right. It always ends up with your wallet getting drained somehow, like creating like ways in which people know what's happening and feel empowered to know what's happening so that they don't get kind of screwed over like that, I think is, is aligned with kind of the ethos of, of web three. Yeah. When you think about like, I really like this framing of like, you know, people have no idea what's going on with databases, but we're very well acquainted with Wi-Fi. I think that's such a good example of just like, it really depends on the instance and the situation. Um, it does kind of make me think like when I think about, you know, what you're doing with Catalyst and having like cross-chain liquidity and being able to move assets from different chains, it kind of makes me imagine that what's probably more likely than not is that in in the particular instance of something like liquidity cross-chain, we basically just see these objects as existing and we probably don't care which chain they're on if these things are abstracted away well enough, um, which is kind of the way that the internet like should have been in the first place or optimally would have been in the first place where it's like you don't care that one database can't talk to another because it just kind of all works um, in a similar way where you don't care that one chain wasn't able to talk to another at one point because you can just kind of move across them. Um and if I take that like line of reasoning to the fullest extent, it makes me wonder if we'll even think about the word liquidity in the way that we do today. Like almost in an optimal world, the notion of liquidity sort of goes away because we don't need to talk about this like abstract concept of liquidity because just everything is always liquid all the time. I'm curious if you think that's that's a feasible world or if there are like missing pieces there. Um. I think it's a feasible world. I think liquidity is just kind of like a weird term that we ultimately landed on. Like before crypto, like liquidity for me meant like, I don't know, like the Fed, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like really just like formal, like macroeconomic concepts, like M1 liquid money supply for an economy, <laughs> right? Or something like that. Um, and, uh, it, it, but I think if you try to boil down what liquidity is trying to accomplish, I think there's like two pieces to it. Um, and again, this is, this is kind of just my, my interpretation of it. One is security. And so like the way in which we've kind of been triangulating on solutions 
is through like liquidity as a form of like security, right? Or proof of stake is, is a different term for it. And so it's like, oh, like if this, you know, if this place, if this network or this protocol is, has more money, like it's harder for, you know, decentralized actors to collude and, and kind of like, you know, do perverse things with it, right? Um, so people always say it's like, oh, like Ethereum has, you know, X billion dollars secured, um, it's the safest slash most secure smart contract protocol. Right. Um, and so that's like one piece of it. Um, the second piece of it is basically like said differently, like, uh, like execution of like financial applications. And so it's like Uniswap, the way it's constructed doesn't really work that well if there's only $100,000 into it, right? And it's like, oh, well, what if I want to swap $200,000? Well, it's like, well, then you can't do it, right? Uh, or it's like, oh, like, um, you know, Compound or, or Aave, like doesn't work as much without like the liquidity behind it. Um, and, and so like, if you try to boil that down, like I, I think you could start like, stripping away like the word liquidity and you start like using it for what it's you know uh, you start like in internalizing the concepts of, of what it's useful for so i can kind of see that being exposed um yeah maybe i'll pause there uh if that made any sense at all no it made a lot of sense i mean it's interesting because it's totally different from the definition that i would have of liquidity when i think about it from like a consumer perspective which is much Tell more me. I think very much along the lines of execution, but to me, liquidity, liquidity is basically just an enabler. It's, it's about, can I do the thing that I want to do? And when I actually, like, I would never say, you know, I mean, people do say this because of the circles that I'm in, but my friends who are not in crypto and not in tech would never be like, oh, I can easily, you know, switch my lease in New York because liquidity for leases is just incredible. Like no one would say that. People would just be like, yeah, there's just a, you know, there's a ton of people who want to move in and out. And so I can do what I actually want to do. And I think yeah. in the context of something like cross-chain liquidity, it's similar where it's just like, I, I don't actually care about the state of why it's possible to do it. I just care that I can do the thing that I would like to do. And that goes on, I think, more so the execution point, though I think the security point that you make is important as well. Um, and, and that's where I get to the point where I'm like, oh, interesting. If these systems work well, we should never even think about liquidity as a concept because it's liquidity is just an enabler for I want to do X and I can do X because of liquidity. Yeah, really. No, I think that's such an elegant way to frame it. Um, yeah, I mean, to be fair, I, I work in crypto and I don't say that New York has a liquid <laughs> <laughs> housing market. Um, you're special, Jimmy. That's, I mean, if you're anything, the exception. Like, it's, yeah, it's like illiquid in the sense that like it's kind of hard to get a place sometimes um, <laughs> if you're leaving. But uh like, yeah, like that, that, that makes a lot of sense. Like people have, I mean, the throw, not the throw, like, you know, more formal nouns and, and, and stuff like that to it. But like people have like intents, um, mm. that they're trying to accomplish on chain and there needs to like liquidity allows for kind of like a rich solver network in order to enable that. Right. Uh, and then I don't know how much you've been following like the intents convo, uh, I've actively avoided it on crypto. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it's pretty crazy. Um, 
So, but yeah, I, I agree. I think that's kind of like a, a good way to put it because like then, then it becomes much more generalized, right? It's like, oh, there's like, you know, ample liquidity to, uh, you know, like, um, there's still value associated with it. It's like there's ample liquidity for like my NFT. There's ample liquidity for, you know, like my social community. I don't know. I'm riffing here, but yeah, I, I think it's a good framing. Yeah. And I feel like what, what ultimately a lot of this conversation is actually getting at that I'm now realizing is like, if liquidity enables the ability to like fulfill an intent, for example, and I'm using that in my broad abstract sense of the term, um, Ultimately, a lot of this is really still about choice and freedom, which I think, of course, like everyone references as one of the big things that crypto provides that like sovereignty of of, you know, owning your own private keys and stuff all provides. But like if you don't have liquidity, you don't really actually have a sense of control because whether it's that you can't take your assets to a different chain or you can't swap your uni for ETH, like a limited amount of liquidity is limiting your choice and your freedom. And so um, I'm curious if if for you that that feels like a fair way to synthesize a lot of like why liquidity matters or if there are other pieces that feel like are important here. No, I think that's that's a pretty good framing. Um, like even even if you think about a world in which or not a world, but a scenario in which there is so like. I think you painted a really good picture for like a scenario where there's no liquidity, right? It's like you remove the choice at all, right? So it's like, um, you know, you're in one chain, there's ample liquidity there, but you know, like you tried to move whatever you were doing on that chain to a new chain, there's no liquidity. Now you're stuck in this kind of uh, original chain that limits user, um, sorry, like individual choice. Um, I think another scenario which um, gets, shows that this is kind of like a spectrum is like if there's low liquidity, right? Mm-hmm. Because then it's like, hey, like I was doing this stuff. I think I want to value this stuff at, let's say, $1,000. I want to move it back to my original kind of home chain, so to speak. Um, and because there's not enough liquidity, I have to pay like a really really large tax, right? Let's say they pay like $800 and you're like, wow, like that sucks. Like I'm not going to move either, but it's like less of like a removal of choice and more of like a penalization of choice, Mm. so to speak. Yeah. That's really interesting. Not seeing it as binary, but instead seeing it as this, um, it's almost putting, I mean, this is of course getting into the financialization of everything, but it puts an incentive system around choices, certainly, which actually is similarly related to the idea of spinning up your own um, chain or your own new nation state. It's like, uh, we're, we're certainly creating incentive systems around choices that we perhaps have not created or explicitly stated incentive systems around previously, which is a little scary. It is scary. Yeah. And it, I think maybe going back to like the nation state analogy, like there's, I think there's like moments where like you kind of like have to go back. Right. And so like, you know, for the nation state analogy, it's like remittances, right? Like migrant workers, remittances, sending family, uh, money home to family. Um, and then in the blockchain analogy, it's like you went to a different place, you did something. Well, now you need that money back. Right. Or like you need that value or the data that you, um, 
you know, uh, aggreg- uh, that acquired there or the credentials that you acquired there, you need it back home. Then if like then in a low liquidity environment, it feels very kind of um, predatory, right? To charge mm. so much money, right? You're like, wow, someone sees that, you know, like you, you know, have a very high willingness to pay and then uh, they kind of take advantage of that. And that's unfortunate, right? Uh, and that goes back to like the piece around like not having a borderless blockchain, right? Like having these barriers, which is, you know, kind of antithetical to the vision that I, ha- I have for the future. Yeah, totally. Um Jimmy, one last question for you. If you had a utopian multi-chain future, you have all the different app chains, you have Jimmy chain, everything's thriving. Catalyst is is helping move between these different chains. Um, what do you think that unlocks in terms of just like human potential and the human experience? Small question. Um, like, I think... So answer first, I think it unlocks a lot of expressivity and comfort Mm. Um, because the analogy, again, like I always like to go back to this like home analogy with with snow. Um, Like I like having my own home, Uh, you know, I, you know, maybe to add a personal bit to it, like moved into my first home where I'm like, you know, want to be there for a while and I'm living alone and um, getting like customize a lot of things is like really cool. Right. Um, and that's a completely different feeling when I have to like share a home with a roommate and, you know, there's compromises or even worse if I, you know, I'm in like a dormitory and I can't really change anything or if I'm in a, kind of like a temporary living situation, like an, you know, like a long-term Airbnb and I can't, I really, I really can't change anything. Right. Like there's less expression. Right. Um, and, and there's less comfort with that. Right. And so with the blockchain, right. Like sharing it with someone, sharing with people that you love would be great. Right. It's like, you know, a couple protocols, get to hang out and drink a few beers (laughs) on a Friday, get to make a little bit of noise, get to leave the kitchen sink a little dirty. (laughs) Um, but, uh, I mean, like, you know, like all all jokes aside, like having your own kind of like tailor made home that is optimized for exactly what you need to do and nothing more that feels pretty awesome. Right. So that's kind of like my perspective of what the unlock potential for, uh, for multi-chain or, you know, hyper chain future, you know, future of millions of chains, um, I think that's kind of what it looks like. I love that. And that is like the most heartwarming way to wrap this up. That's also like one of my favorite reasons that I think like ownership and all of these things really matter because this like idea of comfort and sovereignty is just beautiful. So I love that. Um, Jimmy, where can people learn more about you and what you're building at Catalyst? Sure. So um, Twitter is you know, my proverbial home, so to speak. Uh, that's not my, my place in, in New York. Um, uh, and I'm, I'm uh, at 0xGym, so 0xGIM. And then if you want to follow more about Catalyst, uh, also on Twitter, it's uh, CatalystAMM on Twitter. So uh, yeah, stay tuned. Um, we just released our white paper, which, you know, if you 
enjoy integrals and derivatives and other kind of complicated mathematical functions, uh, feel free to read it. Uh, and we have our test net coming out later this month. Beautiful. Jimmy, thank you so much for coming on the show. This is so wonderful. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for the, the thoughtful questions. That was fun. You, uh, yeah, you made my brain work, which is, which is good. <laughs> I love that. Hopefully we'll, we'll do a part two at, at some point in time when we'll, we'll keep asking the questions, getting an update on the snow blowing and snow, snow situation. 